And so when you can remove that jockey or that bacteria or virus from that area, not only do you allow the blood cells to actually be able to do their job because they're no longer getting congested in that area, but then you also alleviate the reason for them to be there. And if you can tonify the deficiency as well, you allow the immune system to work that much better. You allow the key to be grounded back and actually fight a better defense, right? And so it's actually a very quick and easy treatment. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological, the podcast that curates East Asian medicine and methods through the power of conversation. If you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you'll know that I appreciate the perspective of Seth Godin, who many would say is a marketing genius, and his work certainly can help you with that. But beyond that, he's a keen student of human communication and how our emotions are ever entangled into our thinking. I recently read a blog post of his on defining the enemy. I want to share this with you. Some situations seem to call for an opponent. It might be our personality, the structure of the engagement, or the way we've been taught to behave, but having an enemy seems to focus individuals and groups. For 50 years, America decided that the USSR was the enemy and spent a great deal of time and money and attention maintaining that threat. For many people, the boss is the enemy, the controlling managerial authority, the opponent to be bested in a fight over work, effort, and passion. Or it might simply be the hockey team that we're skating against tonight. Pick your enemy, pick your future. Hmm, check that out. Pick your enemy, pick your future. I'd never put it together that way before, but you know what? It sounds right. What we stand against frames our lives every bit as much as what we stand for. The change you want to see in the world, yes, it might have the image of someone exemplifying that way of being, and I'll bet that you've also got an image in your mind of those who personify what you're fighting against. For the longest time, I've wondered why us humans seem to endlessly divide ourselves up into tribes, factions, nations, religions, you know the list, because the list is endless. We decide who's in, who's not, and then we have it out with each other. Perhaps it is nothing more than the yin-yang polarities of this world that gives everything a sense of separate distinction. And for whatever good reason, in a moment of time, we come down somewhere on that post-heaven continuum of apparent opposites. And so, as Uncle Seth points out, pick your enemy, pick your future. And here's the thing about having an enemy. Enemies mean friction. Enemies generate more emotional fire than do allies. It's not difficult to sink a deep taproot into the energy stores when it's time to go up against the enemy. As I think about it, having an enemy, it's helpful because it forces me to clarify my position, know what's worth a fight and know what's not. And often enough, uncomfortable as it is, there are also places where I might be more like my enemy than I'd like to admit. We all have a shadow material asking for integration 
and the energy that arises in response to an enemy can also contain the transformative spark that catalyzes a deeper understanding of our own internal landscape of contradiction, ignorance, and denial. So, yes, the enemies we take on will lead us down a certain path and generate the wind for the sails in that journey as well. I reckon it's not about not having enemies. Polarity goes with the experience of being human. Gandhi fought tyranny. So did Moses. Mother Teresa fought disparity. Martin Luther King Jr. stood against injustice. Your patients, they have an enemy as well. It could be an illness or a bothersome reoccurring state of mind or beliefs about the world that bring them more limitation than opportunity. It's not about not having enemies. It's about choosing the ones that add vitality and meaning to your time between heaven and earth. The practice of East Asian medicine is the opposite of a logic tree flowchart. While it does have its principles and parameters and for sure requires a keen mind and focus, at the same time, East Asian medicine, it allows for information that comes from the periphery. Qi is both formed and unformed, upright and pathogenic. It constantly invites us to see what's unfolding in the moment. The Shang Han Lun is a foundational text for those who study and use herbal medicine. And as we'll discover in this conversation with Maya Suzuki, we can take the principles and mechanisms of how herbal formulas work and use that to guide our acupuncture treatments. We'll be getting into all of this and more in a moment. Stay with us. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. 
I love how technology can help to automate my office, and I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one month grace period on your new Jane account. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Maya Suzuki, welcome back to Geological. Yeah, so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Happy to have you again. I thoroughly enjoyed our last conversation. For all y'all that haven't heard it, you'll find it in the archives. Maya's had a really interesting path into medicine through the language, through the Japanese language, like kind of through the back door in a way, or the front door, depending on your point of view. (laughs) (laughs) At any rate, you've got a real background in Japanese medicine, which again, you can get in the other podcast. One of the things that we touched on toward the end of our last conversation, as is so often the case, right, we're trying to wind the thing down, land the damn plane. And one of us said something about Shanghan Lun, and you said, oh, yeah, my teacher's got some interesting things to say about that. And I've studied that a bit, and I'm like, okay, let's come back and talk about Shanghan Lun. So here we are, Shanghan Lun. Yeah, with Shanghan Lun, scary, big, lots of information, <laughs> but fun. I really enjoy it. It's one of the classics. It's one of the pillars of our medicine, herbal medicine in particular. People have been arguing over the Shanghan Lun for almost 2,000 years. You go back and look at commentaries and this and that. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's some agreement and there's lots of commentary. There's lots of ways of thinking about it. It's a pretty big bite to take. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you say that about, you know, the arguments and things, because originally in Iyashinomichi, so the style I practice, Yokoda Kampu Sensei, who kind of created our, well, not kind of, he created our group and he's still alive. And he has a translation of the Shanghan Lun that he's interpreted through the lens of what he calls Mambyo Ippuryon or 
many illnesses, one win theory that he kind of discovered through his journey of getting better from really severe palpitations that he had. But in his book, and in other books that I've read in Japanese, and granted, my Japanese is never going to be 100% perfect, I'm not native. You know, that argument that seems to show up so much more in the English text doesn't really exist as much in the Japanese commentaries. There's a little bit more of a consensus, I almost find, in the Japanese books that you don't see as much. When I read through a lot of the English commentaries on the Shanghangan, of which I have several volumes, they all are like, oh, but this teacher said this, and this teacher said that, and that doesn't really exist in the Japanese text, which I always think is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, the Japanese, I mean, I don't know how much of it is cultural. You know, do you disagree with your elders? I don't know. They've also kind of had their own tradition with the Shanghanwen. Yes, they definitely had. And, you know, and I think everybody who studies Kampo or Japanese herbal medicine comes back mm-hmm. to Yoshimasu Todo. And, of course, there's other people besides him as well. I think he's the most famous when it comes to the Shanghanwen. But... You know, at a certain point, Japan shut their doors to China and they stopped evolving, I guess you could say, with them, both culturally and also as a medicine as well. And they started just evolving within their own country. So a lot of people, you know, and whether it's true or not, I'm not a historian, so who knows. But a lot of people do think that the Japanese viewpoint on Kampo is slightly more traditional, I guess you could say, than like mm-hmm. modern herbal theories in relation to the Shanghanlun and other books. You know, to a degree, I agree with them, but I'm not a historian, so I don't know that stuff. But yeah. yeah. I mean, historians really, they're so clever at digging out all the other supporting events that you never hear about. Yeah. And I don't that, know that That stuff. are like the mycelium <laughs> for the mushroom, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know that stuff. <laughs> I don't either. I have a shot glass memory, I like to joke. You know, and so every time I pour some new fact into my shot glass, something inevitably is going to pour out the other side. Oh, my gosh. That describes <laughs> that describes me. <laughs> yeah, it's actually not mine. I actually got that from an episode of Married with Children from those who were raised in the U.S. But uh, it's a great episode for another conversation. But, you know, so a lot of my studies with the Shanghanlun is a consistent series of me studying it and then forgetting it and then having to restudy it and re-forget it. But I think what's really interesting about my teacher's perspective on the Shanghanlun, you know, as opposed to some of the English books that I've read here in the West, is that my teacher actually takes the Shanghanlun and puts it in to the perspective of acupuncture and moxibustion. So like, how can we take whatever formula, guizhou tongue, or, you know, whatever it is, and how do we now apply that to our acupuncture and moxibustion? How do we take the actual herbal knowledge this 3D image of the body and understand it in the aspects of our acupuncture and moxibustion? And then how do we have the proper technique to replicate what the herbs are doing? And then how can we then use that knowledge to understand the path of the disease up till this point and then the path of disease as it exits as well? You know, and that's coupled again with this many illnesses, one win theory and a few other things as well. But it's definitely a perspective that I haven't found anywhere else in the world as of yet. I'm sure there's something somewhere. There may be. But again, this is why I wanted to have this conversation with you today, because we usually think of Shanghanlun in terms of, oh yeah, that's herbal medicine. I mean, it is Mm -hmm. really, and it is one of the pillars of herbal medicine. But beyond that, 
because acupuncture is part of medicine, why not take what we're looking at and looking at it herbally? How do you translate it into a chi dynamic? How do you look at that through the lens of using needles or diet or mm-hmm. you know whatever it is that you use to help people? So we're going to get more into that in a second. I want to say one thing about study, forget, study, forget, study, forget, because I don't think you're alone. There's a few people out there with photographical memories, lucky for them, or maybe not, I don't know. I've got a copy of the latest translation of the discussion of cold damage by uh, Shochun Ma and Dan Bensky. Mm-hmm. I haven't read it yet, but I just purchased it. Yeah, it's like 25 years in the making. You know, an incredible friendship and, you know, noodling through the material. And one of the things that they talk about in the beginning of the book is how to read and use the book. And one of it is, okay, like, look at the herbs, just like look at the herbs, understand the herbs, what are the herbs, just kind of grok that. Now, read the line from the book, read the actual line of the Shang Han Lun, kind of chew on that, let it digest, and then later read the commentaries. Mm-hmm. And then go back and read the herbs again, mm-hmm. and read some more commentaries. And then go back and read the line again, and come back to it in this iterative way which on a bad day, we can look at it and go, oh, study, forget, study, forget, because that's how it feels. But the actual digestion, I keep using the word digestion. It's, you know, such a earth thing. But it's so apt. It's It's so apt. apt. Yeah. To like take it in and make it yours. It's an iterative process and there's no way around it. So embrace it. Yeah, well, and I think on top of that, and to kind of expand on that thought, I think because I am very much a visual, but also tactile learner, like I have to use my hands, I have to see it happening, and then use my hands and experience it. And I think one of the things that struck me about the Ayashinomichi approach to medicine as a whole, but of course, to the Shanghan Lun as well, is that they not only in the Shanghan Lun diagram out exactly what the line is saying in a visual representation of the body as, you know, like I call him the bird man. He looks like a little bird man in the book, but, you know, they write out what it is. But then I also, on top of that, to really digest that material, I have to see that client in the clinic. Like I have to see them and I have to recognize that hara diagnosis, which is the abdominal palpation that kind of comes in pairing with the Shanghan Lun for the Japanese Kampo. And, you know, I have to see all those signs and feel it and see how it feels to me and then see how it reacts to my acupuncture and my moxbustion. And then I'm finally like, oh, that's what Guizhou Tongue is. Mm-hmm. And that's what Gigen Tongue is. But they're definitely not the same thing, even though they're really close. And like, okay, what is Mahuang Tongue? And how is that different? And sorry, I have horrible Chinese pronunciation, by the way. You know, how is that different between these two? And what is a Chaihu presentation? And what really is it? You know, like, I have to feel it. Otherwise, I just forget it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no, I get it, for sure. And what I heard you say in my, I think this is essential, and why Chinese medicine, Japanese, you know, whatever this medicine we practice, is in a, just an intellectual pursuit. The key thing is mm-hmm. you treat and you feel. You treat and you see what happens. You treat and you get the mm-hmm. feedback. And now you've got one full loop of experience. Is one full loop of experience enough? No, yeah. not really. But get you started. <laughs> no. Right? No. It, it, no. It's like, not at all. Um, no. I would say but maybe like 50 times of experience and maybe you have a good idea 
of maybe what you're doing. All right. Now we're scaring away the students, right? You mean I got <laughs> how long is going to take to learn this shit? You know, my teacher told me, this is a separate story, but I was right before I moved back from Japan. I don't know if I told you this last time, but we were walking in to treat one of the students that was on the InTouch Japan seminar. I was translating for him really as a ruse just to watch what he was doing. And I asked him, I said, you know, I'm going to have to go to the States. And because of my experience, they're going to ask me to teach, but I don't feel ready to teach. And, you know, what do you think about that? Like, when am I going to finally feel like I have a clue? And he was like, how long have you been practicing? And I'm like, I don't know, eight years. And he's like, give it 10 years and you'll have a clue. <laughs> I was mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's the same, you know, you have to, this is not a quick medicine, so. Well, you can get quick results when you know what you're doing. Yeah, but that right? takes but a minute, doesn't it? The learning takes time. But then again, I mean, think about it. God, anything like learning to make good bread, like really good bread, really mm. good bread. It's probably not a weekend adventure. It's probably not a couple of months either. No, no. Yeah. Right? Anyway. Anyway. It's important, though, I think, to understand that, you know, as you were saying, herbal medicine doesn't have to be theoretical. And I think that's one of the things I really love about Iyashinomichi's particular approach. Again, it's not mine. I didn't create it, but... The particular approach is that it takes this very cerebral act of understanding theory and puts it into a physical practice, you know, and I personally really enjoy that. I don't know how you can learn it without the physical practice. And even if you're just taking pulses and prescribing herbs, you still need that watching it happen in reality, that embodied in the moment, watching the results. You can go at it very theoretical, but we're not. Again, it's why we're here. So Shang Han Lun and acupuncture. Yeah. Okay. Lay the groundwork out for us. How do we start to think about this? And Well, I think... And use it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, I'm not, nor do I claim to be an herbal master or anything like that, you know. You don't need to be because we're talking acupuncture. Yeah, yeah. And acupuncture... And we're talking about the beauty of this book, and I'm going to call it the mechanics in this book. Yes. Granted, the mechanics are through the actions of herbs, mm -hmm. but we can translate that into any kind of chi we want, can't we? Yeah. You know, and I would say, well, really, if you want to get down to it, the first thing that you really need to do is start to understand first the techniques that are foundational to Japanese acupuncture, you know, because those techniques can really change how you're approaching the medicine because, how do I put this? So in TCM, there are usually one, two, maybe two or three techniques that you might use with your acupuncture, right? You either insert the needle and retain it. You do bloodletting or what is this, like the seven star technique, right? I mean, is there anything that I'm missing that's I think those are the basics, right? Well, those are the, and you know, you might do lifting and thrusting, or you might be going right. with certain channel dynamics, or, you know, I think there's plenty of things within that. So yeah. what's the 101 on Japanese acupuncture techniques? Yeah, so we have to think about a few different techniques, really, in relation to dispersion and tonification. And so I like to, when I'm teaching my students, really break those into two major groups. So the very first is going to be dispersion, right? And so basic techniques for dispersion are going to be quick, shallow, and many. So those are really easy to understand when we're doing our bloodletting techniques. We're going to be on the surface. We're doing it quite quickly. We're not inserting it or retaining the needle into the body. That is a quick, shallow, many technique. Now, for those of you who are familiar 
with Japanese acupuncture, you'll be familiar with the term of a contact needling technique. So contact needling is essentially taking a needle and very quickly, just on the very surface of the skin, doing almost like a pricking technique, I guess you could describe it as. It's kind of hard to describe in words without a visual. But you would do a contact needling technique, and that can be summarized actually with a lot of shonishin techniques too, so Japanese pediatric acupuncture. So that's really like a very quick overview of hundreds of different techniques that you can do for a dispersive acupuncture technique. And then you also have tonifying acupuncture techniques. Now, tonifying acupuncture techniques are slow, deep, and few. So this is your retention. There's, again, anybody who studied Sugiyama Waiichi, who is the guy who created the guide tube, he had a whole school with tons and tons of techniques as well. So you would be familiar with those. And if you're not, check out Sugiyama Waiichi. He's a very interesting guy. But really, you would have to understand those two basic techniques with your acupuncture. And then with your moxibustion, it's very, very simple. There's a lot that you can put into it, but really easily split up into two categories. Moxibustion as dispersing can be hot and as tonifying, moxibustion is warm. So I like to describe that like a hot shower or a hot pan that you touch and pull away before anything happens and warm like a nice rejuvenating warm bath, you know, those are two totally, totally different things. And so you really have to understand those two basic techniques in order to apply the medicine. And then over and above that, of course, you have to perfect them and all of those things. Over and above that, also understanding, of course, the direction of the channel, the meridians as highways rather than specific lines on the body, acupuncture points as I like to call them GPS coordinates rather than... You know, like stomach 36 isn't right here every time. It's like, well, let's find where stomach 36 is on this person. And then let's also understand that, you know, Ashisanli, this, I don't know how to say it in Chinese, but, you know, this point stomach 36 is actually encompassing of a very large area that you were supposed to look at. Same with LI4 Gokoku. You know, it was encompassing of the valley in between the two hills, you know, the valley in between the index and the thumb. And if we go to TCM theory, if someone who's taking point location class, oh my God, you're probably really confused right now. Just ignore me and study your point location. But, you know, in actuality, understanding where that point is on that person's body for that moment is going to be something else that you're going to have to really understand. And then once you get all of those pieces together, starting to say, you know, you had mentioned studying the herbal formula and the individual herbs. And so in Japanese kampo, they tend to look at the formula before they break down the herbs. But to back it up, you know, you can understand, like, for example, with guizhou tongue, guizhou or keishi, as we call it, is really the herb that's going to signify that rising of chi. And so how does that help you? Well, that helps you because when you palpate the sternum, usually below, I believe, the left sternum, you'll be able to feel this really important thing called jaki or pernicious chi or xie chi, which is another thing that is really important for this style of acupuncture is the understanding that this idea of xie chi or pernicious element of jaki has been taken out of the sheng hanlun and hasn't really been translated with the medicine and is also not, there's not really any importance that's been put on it in, I think, modern day medicine. So, I mean, that's a whole lot that I just threw down there. But on top of that, there's also a few other theories that you would have to put into place as well. In particular, you know, the many illnesses, one win theory. But um, yeah, it's a lot of moving pieces. Okay, great. 
this gives us plenty to dig into <laughs> okay. on a, you know, for a first pass. Okay. The needling, that all makes sense. I think anyone listening to this can grasp that. Mm-hmm. The piece about the compo looking at the complete character of the formula instead of individual herbs, because the Taiwanese lived under the Japanese rule for, I don't know, maybe 50-ish years or so. They were a colony. And it influenced the medicine there. So the guy that I used to study with, when he gave people formulas, this was so weird to me. When I first got there, I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? He's clearly senile. He's old for sure. He's probably senile. <laughs> the <laughs> best ones you. always are. The best ones always are. <laughs> well, no, I don't know if they're senile, but old maybe. <laughs> he gave me a formula that had like four formulas in it modified with three herbs. Wow. If I attempted to do that in one of my classes at school, my mm-hmm. teachers would have been like, eh, go try again. <laughs> yeah. Had amazing results. Phenomenal results. Unbelievable. And, and began to cotton to that kind of thinking that, oh, it is possible to take a formula as a whole and treat it as you would an herb. There's a mm-hmm. character it has. There's a personality that it has. You can lean on that. And you can combine formulas based on that. So that was cool. And, you know, yet again, another way, even begin to think about herbs mm-hmm. makes our medicine incredibly frustrating and phenomenally fun to practice, right? Yeah. Is that a bug or a feature? I don't know. Maybe both. Yeah. It's definitely a thing, though. It's definitely a thing. I want to dig a little deeper, though, into this thing about the shiatchi. Yeah. You know, whether you call it evil or pernicious or, you know, the bad chi, pathogenic. Look, there's plenty of ways to translate it. Yeah. They're not all, they all don't match up, though, do they? They all don't match up. Mm -mm. But, you know, it's something that's, it's like no good. It's like, Bad stuff. Yeah. There's definitely bad stuff in the world, and you don't want that in you. Yeah. Well, you know, my teachers always described this to me because Jackie, as I've described, because Jackie is very prominent in Japanese acupuncture, in in every Japanese acupuncture I've ever been privy to see, and every practitioner that I've ever worked with in Japan has been very understanding and focused on this idea of Jackie. And in relation to what they call the Seiki or the upright chi, right? Mm -hmm. And how they always described it to me is they said, jaki or pernicious ki, which again is a horrible translation for it. They say, it's not that it's good or bad. It's just ki that is not helping you. It's not beneficial to you. And therefore, Mm. it should not be in you. And so I always describe this to my patients. I say, look, it's kind of similar to a bacteria or virus. But that doesn't mean we don't live in symbiosis with bacteria or virus every single day. We do, hundreds of them, probably thousands. But then there are those that are not helpful to us. We need to get those out of the system. And then also, you know, if you can kind of think of it, I always think of Jackie as like the guy in college who came and crashed on your couch and drank all your beer and would not leave. It's not like he was a bad guy. But he was kind of in the way. <laughs> like, you got to get him out. You know, like... A little stupid and in the way. He's just in the way. You can't vacuum, you know. And anyway, <laughs> you got to make these things relatable, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't tolerate house guests like that for very long. So I guess my <laughs> Jung Chi had, uh, you know, had some power to it. This idea that the Xia Chi, the, the Jaki, is that how you Jaki. say it? Jaki, mm-hmm. okay. That the Jaki, it could even be a beneficial kind of key. 
except it's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, it's not that it's good, you know, because no key is good or bad. Again, you know, in the Japanese language, I think they have over 50 words in the everyday human language that not even acupuncturists would use that use the word key in it. Yeah, yeah. Same with the Chinese. Yeah, it's prolific. It is part of the language. It is part of everyday thought. Of course. You know, and this idea of jaki is, again, it's not good chi. It's not bad chi. It's not anything particular. It's just not, as you said, it's not beneficial at that place at that time. And therefore, it needs to be removed from the system because it's causing issues. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Man, you have really, in like under five minutes, really shifted something in my way of thinking about things because I've looked at it in a very... Well, here's a popular term these days, binary. I've looked at a very binary. It's like, oh, it's good or it's bad. It's junk, it's upright, or it's chi, it's bad. No, there are no good chi. There is no bad chi. There's things that are useful, things that are not. There's things that are beneficial. There are things that are an impedance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's not to put like a whole postmodern deconstruction. Oh, nothing has meaning except, you know, as we decide to put a meaning. But there's this like relationship that we need to attend to because it's constantly moving. You know, it's always unfolding. Yeah. Well, and I think perhaps to Yashinomichi, Yashinomichi in particular is based more on like Zen meditation than some other styles. But I think if you think of it in that regard of just saying, you know, nothing is good nor bad. It's just in relation to the situation around it. And I think in the West, we have, I was talking this actually with Stephen Brown. I just interviewed him on my YouTube channel, and he was mentioning something about this as well. This idea of like wanting to fall back on reductionism in our society and wanting Mm -hmm. to, you know, label it and say, this is this and this is that. And I am in opposition to this and this is in opposition to that. But like key is just key and it is just there. It is prolific. It is part of every single thing around us. It doesn't mean that it's all good for us at that moment, though. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It sounds like something Stephen Brown would say. Yes. <laughs> He's amazing. I love him so much. 
And you have a conversation with him on your YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's is, kind is of it similar. up? Is it published? Can we go it see is, it? It is, yeah. It's, okay. It's my most recent video. It's kind of like what we do here. It's just with video attached, you know, yeah. and then some other stuff too that I ramble on about, about techniques and things. But Okay, cool. Y'all yeah. can go check that out. I recommend you check it out if it's yeah. Stephen Brown talking. At least the conversation with Stephen Brown, you know, because he's <laughs> worth it. And there's another one with Jeffrey Dan, too, which is also amazing. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. I got to go subscribe to your YouTube channel. Yeah, well, okay. please and thank you. But yeah. All right. So no good she, no bad she. Let's look at the relationship. Can you walk us through a treatment? Like, could we have a glimpse at, I don't know, Guajertang or yeah. favorite, you know, big favorite in America because everybody overprescribes it like crazy. Xiaoyao-san or... Yeah, way overprescribed. Way I mean, overprescribed. I think, yeah. Just pick one and, you know, walk us through it. You know, I think tongue is a really good formula to talk about because Shang Hanlun begins and ends with this formula. With Guizhou It is. <laughs> it's the alpha and omega of the Shang it Hanlun. <laughs> it really is, you know, and I think it's an extremely important, important formula, you know, and when we understand tongue as an approach, like maybe I'll go through the herbs first, because I think most people understand individual herbs a little bit more like from a TCM approach, I would assume, right? Um, so guajur or keishi, as we call it, you know, it's consistent of five herbs. Guajur is that rising key that I kind of mentioned a bit before. It's So it helps with that rising energy, which again, you can palpate under, I think it's usually the left sternum is how I usually learned it. And then we have Baishao or the Shakuyaku, and that's really... I'm going to interrupt for just a second. Yeah, if you want to pronounce them correctly, too. No, no, no. I don't care about the pronunciation. Pronunciation is fine. (laughs) This is like the third time you've talked about this rising Shiachi on the left side of the sternum. Could you go a little bit more into that so that... Yeah, so this is... Maybe we could learn to feel this? Because, you know, I'm the kind of guy that, as we're talking, I'm like palpating my sternum. Yeah, and so... I mean, I guess I, I kind of misspoke. So this rising energy isn't so much rising of Jaki or the, the Shei Chi. Shei Chi, usually you feel with tongue, usually on the back of the neck, you know, around do 14-ish area, to be quite honest, less so here under the sternum. But you will feel like, how do you describe it? It's like a prickly energy feeling, but not in a good or bad way. But really, it's what that's signifying is the unrooting of the chi in the stomach. And so, and that combines with the shoga or the shengjiang and the datsao and all of these things that are kind of pointing to the fact that we have cold that's appeared. We have a deficiency that's appeared in usually the lower jiao, but sometimes the middle jiao that's allowed the energy to then rise up. And if we even back up farther than that, and we understand what, again, is it, delineated in the mechanism of disease or mambyoipurum, that many illnesses, one wind theory, we can think of like understanding the stages of illness and where Guizhertang falls in that. In the first stage of illness, we're in homeostasis, right? We have issues within our body, like we have toxins and stuff like stool toxin or perinatal toxin or whatever we have in our body, but it's not doing us any harm. It's just hanging out. And all of us have that. And then in stage one, we do something to overwork the system and exhaust the system. We have too much sex. We work too much. We drink too much. You know, we do something. We get in a car accident, whatever it is, and it creates a deficiency. And I think this is really, really important to kind of ponder on for a minute because I think 
most TCM theory that I've been privy to. I haven't studied classical Chinese, so I'm not sure, but most TCM theory I've been privy to kind of starts with the excess as the main center goal. Whereas in Japanese acupuncture, as I would say an overarching whole, there's of course differences here and there, and definitely in Yashimichi, deficiency is at the center of our theory. So if we can solve the deficiency, we can solve the excess. And so the deficiency is created and that deficiency is then creating this rising of energy, which is what you give that guizhou for to help root the qi back down in combination with the um, shenzheng and the datsao and the gansao to help alleviate this ropiness in the rectus abdominal muscles that are going down. And then also, usually when people come in with this, you know, of course, they have the floating pulse and the headache and the fever, perspiration, like we all know those kinds of things. But now we can actually palpate the abdomen, we can palpate under the sternum, we can see those typical signs to help differentiate from other formulas. Usually when people come in for guizhou, though, with a guizhou presentation, most of them don't realize that they're getting sick. Most of them are just like, my neck and my shoulders have been really tight lately, or they don't even mention that. They just say, man, I've been so tired lately. And when you palpate them, you can feel that shechi or jaki, which feels, I like to describe it as the worms in Ursula's cave. You know, they just kind of, it's kind of like, doesn't feel good. My student Deirdre describes it as like static electricity, but in a bad way. Mm. Or like, you know, when you're on a dirty subway in a really hot, like, summer month, and everyone's really close to you, and you're like, ugh, just get away from me. Yeah, it was just on when I get it, totally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they don't feel good. But it's kind of that feeling, and usually you'll feel it, again, around this Dew 14 area, you know, and they'll have that perspiration, of course, which is a huge differentiation between that and, like, Mahuang or something like that, right? So you can have all those symptoms, and then you can give now that you know that they're in Guizhou tongue and you can tell your patient, look, I think you're getting sick. What did you do the past few days? And usually they'll say, oh, I had an all-nighter because I had a really big job at work to get done or my kid was sick and then I had this and that. Like they'll have all these situations that lined up to create them to get to this stage of deficiency. And then you can give them the right treatment and then the right advice to get them out of it. You know, so advice, of course, is I want you to go home. I want you to wrap your neck up with like a scarf, put on some warm clothes, drink some fluids, and I want you to sweat this out and sleep, right? So you don't even have to give, I mean, after you give the treatment, of course, as well, but you don't have to give the formula to get the same exact effects of the formula, which I just think is so freaking cool. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. It's so much fun. And then it can be immediate. You know on the table whether you did it right or not. Whereas with herbs, you have to go home and see if it starts to work, usually. So on the table, you're going to see the abdomen change? Yes. You're going to notice that chi, chi that static, that oh, dirty subway feeling, that's going to shift? Yes. Pulse, of course, is going to shift? Yes. You want that floating pulse to definitely subside. You yeah. want any deficiencies in the pulse to rise. You want to have a little bit more, not too much sweating, right? We don't want to put them into deficiency, but we do want them to start sweating it out. And then usually they get quite tired. And also the muscle tension in their neck with the alleviation of the jockey is also going to go away. Because if you think about it as jockey, I like to tell my clients, it's like jockey is a bacteria or a virus. If you just think of it, even though it's not, 
If you can think of it that way, when a bacteria or a virus invades into your body, the very first thing is it's gonna initiate the immune system to bring white blood cells to that area, of course, with the red blood cells. And so you're gonna have an accumulation of blood, which is gonna happen, usually it happens throat, nose, right? These are the typical places, which is why that back of the neck shoulder starts to show symptoms because, right, the back is going to show the symptoms of the front and vice versa, right? And so when you can remove that jockey or that bacteria or virus, from that area, not only do you allow the blood cells to actually be able to do their job because they're no longer getting congested in that area, but then you also alleviate the reason for them to be there. And if you can Mm -hmm. tonify the deficiency as well, you allow the immune system to work that much better. You allow the key to be grounded back and actually fight a better defense, right? And so it's actually a very quick and easy treatment. Usually for Guajitong, I tell my patients, The first thing that they come in, I say, I'm sorry, I can't treat you for that today because you're about to get sick. And if we don't do this now and I treat you for something else, it's going to get worse. That jockey is going to evade farther into the body. So I'm going to treat you. It's going to maybe be 15 minutes, but then I want you to go home and take a nap unless you want to get sick. And they all say no. (laughs) They're like, no, I don't want to do that. Right. You know, and I still, from a financial perspective, I still charge them my same rate. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's a treatment. Yeah, because they're not paying works. us for our time. They're paying us no. for the results. Exactly. Oh, huge. Every single person who's a student, I would just like let Michael's words sink in. Don't get paid for your time. Get paid for your results. I think that's such an important thing to remember. It is. It takes some so confidence, important. though. It's true. It takes experience and it takes confidence. But really, I mean, as much as often my patients will say they like acupuncture, look, they'd rather be living their life than coming to see me or you or any of us. Amen. And even though acupuncture can be pleasant, I think they'd all rather not be doing it at all. They'd rather just be living their life. Of course. And I tell that to my clients all the time. I'm like, look, I love seeing you. In a way, I'm, I guess I'm a bad business person because I actually think that treating someone on a monthly basis for like maintenance treatment, I actually find super boring. Because <laughs> I'm like, what am I supposed to do with you? There's nothing wrong. And I understand the reasoning for it, but it's boring for me. From your perspective... Is there a reasoning or do you just want to see him when something's up? I think this is an important point because, yes, there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, Yeah. I got a successful practice because I got a bunch of people. They've scheduled out six months. Mm -hmm. I see people on a maintenance schedule again, like once a month or something like that. When I see continuing factors in their hara, in the abdomen that tell me that those continuing factors of these latent toxins, which I kind of touched on before, you know, the toxins in the abdomen, the deficiency in the abdomen is not balanced. And so I know for a fact that they're going to have to see me for a more volatile situation later on. And so for those people, I tell them, I'd rather maintain where you're at or be more aggressive and take away these factors rather than have you see me when things get really bad and you have to see me a lot because it's going to be harder Mm -hmm. for me and more expensive for you. But if they don't have those factors, and also sometimes the patients, they're okay with that. That's an okay thing for them. And I think one of the biggest things that I teach my students is like, and it's what I was taught as well, is that you are only treating your client to help them attain their goal. You're not treating them for what The medicine, unfortunately, tells you you should be treating. Unfortunately, that patient, that client is coming to you to attain their goal in their life. 
And if you can help them change that goal and say, look, you have these factors and I really think it's important for you to treat and they're on board with that, great, they should keep coming. But if they're coming to you because they threw out their back and they can't go golfing with their son next week, they're not coming to you so you can keep working on their stomach. They're coming to you so they can go golfing, you know, and it's, I think as practitioners, we often get on a bit of a high horse of saying, oh, I see all these things and all these things need to be treated. And it's like, yeah, they need to be treated, but that's not what that human being wants and desires. And you can Mm -hmm. only help them in a way that they want to be helped. Sure. Well, and there's that idea too that is there something that could be treated? Yeah, there's always something a little out of whack, but is the system working well enough that just like let it roll? Are they in homeostasis or are they not? Right. You know, know, don't fix it if it ain't broke. It might be a little worn down. You might need those tires rotated, but, you know, you could do that 8,000 miles from now. It'd probably be okay. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think it's a really important thing for us to know as practitioners when to say, okay, we did our job. Mm -hmm. The thing you came in for, we did it. Like to quote a famous president, mission accomplished. Of course, he got in trouble for saying that, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. We did what we set out to do. Is there more that we could do? Yes, there is. Here's what it is. Do you want to do that? And they might go, nah, I'm fine. Or they might go, yeah, I'll see you in six weeks. I think it makes us more reliable. And I think that's good for business. I think it's good for business. I also think there's a lot of people that come to my clinic as their everyday doctor. I am not a doctor. I cannot be a doctor in Colorado. I do not claim to be a doctor, but... No, but they treat you like one. Yeah. They come to me because they know that, A, I'm going to listen to what they want. I'm going to try to be on board with what they want. And I'm going to try my darndest to make sure that I achieve what they want. And if I can't, I'm going to find some place where they can hopefully get that done. And that's something that, you know, really straying far from the topic of the Shanghai Lun, but that's something that's missing in everyday modern medicine, you know, in Western medicine. I have a client that I just saw today. I've suspected that she's had uterine cancer for over two and a half years. For two and a half years, I've been trying to send her to an OBGYN. And the first one just told her, nah, you bleed through six heavy duty pads in an hour. That's normal. Let's put in a Nova ring. Two and a half years ago, she told her that. And then finally this month, they found out it's not not normal. normal. But the thing is like the doctors don't listen to their patients and they don't take the attitude to be like, yeah, let's try to figure this out together. So, you know, that's just something that we as practitioners have the opportunity to do. And we do. Anyway, yeah. straying far from the topic of the shotgun. Well, it, <laughs> so. yes and no. Yeah. Because look, most people, when they have a cold, for lack of a better word, we call it a mm-hmm. wind cold mm-hmm. or just a wind strike, case of mm-hmm. Guadron. Oh, you know, I just have a cold. I'm going to take these over the counter drugs and just keep doing my life. You know, one of the great things about COVID was, oh, I got this flu like thing. I'm going to stay the hell home for five mm-hmm. days. Yeah. Right? You don't yeah. see that as much now, right? People no. come in, I had someone come in the other day. Well, I got a little cough and I'm sniffling and this and that, but don't worry, it's just a cold. <laughs> like, it's still a cold, man. Subject for a different conversation. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, even thinking though, Guizhou Tongue, again, one of the beauty of looking at the Shang Hanlun and studying the Shang Hanlun, no matter what volume you study from, is that you can say that, you know, it doesn't have to be a wind strike, Someone who has severely tight shoulders 
and consistently has this rising key, what I think often is, I personally think is misdiagnosed as young liver, what is it, liver young rising, I think is mm, often said mm-hmm. in TCM. Yeah, that's how they talk about it in TCM. Yeah, you know, I think often that's a misdiagnosis in the respect that it's not liver young rising, it is excess of the tai young caused by deficiency, usually of the lower jowl, deficiency in cold created in the lower jowl, right? And so when you can change your focus of the medicine, again, with this background of the Shang Han Lun and this kind of diagram at your fingertips of saying, yeah, this is Guizhou Tang or this is whatever, you know, then you can apply these formulas as an overall pictograph to your clients, even if they don't have a wind strike, right? And then you can also, as you were saying, Michael, with your teacher, you could take these formulas and start to play jazz, so to speak, and combine Mm -hmm. them together, you know, because all the formulas are are riffs, and you can combine those riffs together, and now you have a jazz piece. And what does that jazz do? It speaks directly to the soul of one individual in particular and works great for them, you know? So It's beautifully put. Yeah. I mean, it's important, though, I think, that we don't become too literal about Mm -hmm. the Shang Han Lun and we can have a little bit more of one of my teachers described it. I was observing with one of my teachers from Iyashinomichi, Harada Sensei, in his home clinic, and he was treating someone, my friend, actually, on the table, and I was observing as he was treating and teaching, and he was saying, he was telling me, you focused too much on what you were doing. When I am treating this point, I'm connected to this point through the needle, I'm understanding what's happening below the needle and how the key is reacting to the needle and how the body is reacting to that needle, then I'm also noticing that beautiful breeze that's coming through the branches out there. Do you see Mm. it? You know, like, and I can see that the lights are dim and that her breathing has slowed. Like having a more unfocused, you know, when you go into a Zen meditation, they ask you, you know, to keep your eyes slightly open, but have a very unfocused center of attention. I don't know how else to explain it because I'm not a Zen teacher, but, (laughs) you know, like, you know, to have this unfocused center of attention that you can connect with the whole scenario, but also connect with exactly what you're doing. And I think if we can take the Shang Han Lun from less of this literal, this is a wind strike with rising key and deficiency, like, and apply it more liberally to the body, I think we can really start to have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. You speak to something wonderful with describing how your teacher is in touch with the needle and how the needle's in touch with the patient and how he's attending to the tissues and the breeze and the play of light and the feeling in the room and just the sense of everything that's in that moment attentive, not too focused, but also not unfocused. I have this fantastic waiting room in my clinic, which is actually the recording studio of Geological. It's a lovely room with a cork floor and these windows that look outside at the trees and quiet neighborhood where I live. I'm constantly, when I'm doing these conversations, aware of the light or if a cat is in the room or the clouds outside. Oh, is it overcast? No, it's blue. All those things go into a geological conversation. And you just reminded me I can bring all of that into my treatments as well. I totally overlooked it. I'm sure you But I hear you do. say it. I hear you say it. And I go, oh, that's right. I was missing that. I think at a certain point in our careers in this medicine, and really anything that you do as a lifelong pursuit, you get into 
an area which, you know, my teachers call the zone or, you know, everyone calls the zone. This area, you know, when you're doing a marathon or riding a long bike race, race or for me, I'm a whitewater kayaker and an equestrian where you get into this synchronicity with the things mm-hmm. around you and you're mm-hmm. able to just not think anymore. To quote Mr. Miyagi, don't think, just do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, Yoda or whatever, you know, you get to this stage where you can just relax with the situation and you can trust your hands to do what they're supposed to do. You know, to get to that point takes a lot of practice, you know, to come full circle in this conversation takes a lot of practice. And in my opinion, mentorship and, you know, of course, theoretical study in the beginning, but at a certain point, you're able to just trust and back off, you know, well, you whitewater kayak, I sail. There's a phrase that we have, like, how do you know that? How did you do that? Mm time in the boat exactly right how'd you do yeah. that how'd you get that boat right side up in that wind mm, time in the boat yeah the water will teach you <laughs> <laughs> yes it will <laughs> <laughs> the water will teach you you know it's funny throughout my whole life i've been very connected to water and i often feel that water is a very good visual way of understanding how key flows to go on another tangent of conversation but water is so cleansing and is so powerful and so soft, and so mobile, and flexible. And man, I just think every practitioner could learn so much by just spending time in the water. So much. I mean, our bodies are essentially just big water buckets. We're water balloons. Big water bucket. (laughs) Big old bag of water, according to Tom Robbins. We were invented by uh, water to carry it around. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's a bit of a tangent, but yeah. It is, but look, medicine is full of tangents, which is why it's partly so frustrating and so satisfying to engage in. I want to come back to something that you had said about that rising key, the tight shoulders. That's a presentation all of its own. Mm -hmm. It tells you something about the dynamic of what's going on. You mentioned that it often will get misdiagnosed as like rising liver chi, which... Lately, because liver is a yin organ, I think there's very little liver chi that goes up. I think it's more gallbladder myself, but that's a topic for another conversation. Mm-hmm. But the idea that there's different ways that chi can go up. And you know, we often have our little pat ways of thinking about it. Sometimes it matches up. Sometimes it doesn't quite match up. And so to think about guajitang, it's also a chi rising kind of pattern. Different than you'd see with like coming up through the Shaoyang, this -hmm. is coming up into the Taiyang. And as you were saying, it's from a deficiency in the lower jowl. I'm going to take that, correct me if I'm wrong, as a shorthand for Shaoyin. So deficiency in the Shaoyin that's expressing in the Taiyang. Do I have that right? You know, as far as my teachers describe it, they don't ever focus on one particular area of like, this is a Shaoyin deficiency, or this is a mm. what you know, Taiyin deficiency, mainly because the deficiency is then meant to be found in the body. And so when you define exactly where something should be, you then put all every single reader of that text then at a disadvantage, right? So if the deficiency has to be in there, you know, you start to put things at a deficiency there. But you can also say, so there's also the Datsao treats that contracture of the muscle fibers, right? And it, mm-hmm. 
can be felt with a slightly deeper palpation in the hara, and that's usually caused from what we call water toxin or damp in the body. And where is that water toxin coming from? You know, this whole area of it has to be here is never defined. <laughs> I hate to say this. it's not defined. It's not anywhere in particular because they are leaving that to the reader to then find literally on the patient and figure out where it is. I would say for the most part, you're probably pretty correct, but I hesitate to say something particular that is not always correct. So, In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Thank you. I thoroughly appreciate it. I get it. There's a part of my own mind that likes to pin things down. It's kind of the way my mind works. It's helpful in certain situations. It gets in my way a lot because I'm trying to pin things down Mm -hmm. that if I left it a little more open, as you were just suggesting, I might discover something else that's there that I wouldn't Mm -hmm. see because I'm too busy looking to see where is it so I can pin the damn thing down. Then I can have a clear diagnosis and I can feel like a smart practitioner. Yeah. So (laughs) speaking of that, I have so many experiences of that particular attribute of the West, what I like to call the Western mind. Mm. We have to pin it down. It has to be in a particular place. It has to be, stomach 36 has to be here. And this understanding that I'm not sure about Chinese, but from a Japanese linguistic perspective, it's usually quite fluid as an understanding of things. And I can't tell you how many times that I was in acupuncture school at Toyoshinkyu and I would raise my hand and say, I have this situation. Where would that be in this situation? And the teacher would go, I would have no idea. I haven't seen your patient or touched them. And I'd be like, what about this situation? They'd be like, I don't know. I can't tell you how many times, every single time. Um, So I'm about to host and translate the In Touch Japan seminar and another Yashinomichi workshop in Japan here in November. And every single time I have ever hosted my teacher, another Japanese practitioner, every single time a Westerner will inevitably raise their sand and say, how about in this situation, where exactly should that be? And they always go, mm, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> One of my favorite teachers, the teacher that actually inspired me to get involved in Iyashinomichi, Oda Jikan-sensei, who's now the head of Toyoshinki, he was just a teacher at the time when I was going there. And I was enamored by this man because he's this little round, short, you know, he's not bigger guy. He's just very round face and he's very learned. I've never met a person who has 
studied more of the classics than perhaps Yokota Kampu Sensei in person. Oda Sensei is just amazing practitioner. And he would be treating someone in class, and I'd be like, why did you pick that point? Let's say it was Ren 4, I don't know. Why did you pick Ren 4? Like, what's there? And he would go, no, I don't know. And he would just move on. And I'm like, how do you know? How do you not know? Why do you not know this? How could teach me your ways? And he was just like, he's like, my hands tell me to go there. So I go there. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to, like, you know, he didn't have to make it like there is deficiency here. And so I have to get at the deficiency. He was just like, my hand told me to go there. So I went, I did what my hands told me. So you get to this point in your practice, going back to this, like, I don't know if you, a muted concentration, I guess you could say, where you can move, you've studied so much, let's say of the Shang Han Lun, you know, and you've memorized the patterns, you understand the techniques that would go along. So for example, for the Keishi part of tongue, you would do a contact needling on the upper back, and you would maybe do a tonifying needle at, let's say, Ren 4, where there was deficiency, for example, you would do a deep retained needle there until you felt the key arrive. You might do some hot mocks on the upper back after the contact needling and then warm tonifying mocks on the Ren 4 after you did that. And then you might pull the key down the legs to root the key in the body and then you're done. Quick, easy, simple, right? But once you've memorized those patterns from the Shang Han Lun and made them part of the fabric of your hands, then when you see those patients in the clinic, then you can just move without thought. And that's where this muted focus can come into play and you can be in that moment in the zone and really flowing with the key of your patient and have that corked floor beautiful window and be part of that ambiance because you're not trying to be cerebral I mean everything that I do for my students everything that my teachers do for me is to get us out of our dang heads and back into our hands like I just wish we could just like flip a switch and turn the brain off Hmm. you know there is no switch. I mean, it really is a practice. Like yeah. you handling whitewater, you can't just turn on a switch. It's not like the Matrix where like download how to fly a helicopter into me. But wouldn't that be damn cool though? Uh, <laughs> I think it'd be awesome. Maybe. There's something about like the patina that goes onto the soul mm. when you're working something through. Yeah, the process. And I think that's part of what seasons a practitioner of East Asian mm. medicine. There is a seasoning, like a really good cast iron skillet, a really good one, mm-hmm. right? You're so right. You season that thing over a period of time. Man. A teapot that had enough deeped in it that it has its own glow from mm. oils that have collected and like mm-hmm. leached all the way through. I got one of those at home. Yeah, yeah, I got one of those at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, you're right. You're right. Well, I don't know if I'm right. Look, there's moments where, yeah, it'd be great. Like, I need to fly a helicopter now. Like, but I don't think medicine works that way. Yeah. I think we need to have, well, I don't know about sailing, but water kayaking, we have the saying that we're all just in between swims. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that you will never swim again. You will. You just aren't doing it right now. And the water she will take and she will give, but... You best to make sure that when you have your yard sale, when you're swimming, that everything is connected to your boat because it's going to happen. And um, when in clinic, like I don't want someone to have a yard sale and just totally mess up. But my goodness, you're going to mess up. You know, you're mm-hmm. going to fail a client. You're going to totally do the incorrect treatment and 
you know, make it worse. And it's not on purpose, but you are correct in the fact that the learning that happens with that process of the failure, the learning that happens with the process of the win that wasn't intended. Those are the things that really get filed away. My teachers would say, file it away in your toolbox. Mm-hmm. So the next mm-hmm. time you see someone with this presentation and this attribute and this and this and this, you can try that and see if maybe it works. Well, look, there's probably no other book in the Chinese pantheon of classics that gets at this like the Shang Han Lin does because mm-hmm. so yeah. many treatments, so many formulas mm-hmm. are, for the, <laughs> are for the treatment where someone screwed it up. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I should have sweat them. I should not have purged them. Now mm-hmm. we have this situation. This is what mm-hmm. we need to do next. So yeah. you want to look at failure. ZZJ knew a lot about failure and he wrote about it too. I agree. Yeah. And I think some of those chapters are really easy for us to kind of sweep over, you know, just be like, oh, that's a failure. Well, what? that's not as important. That's not as important. But it's really, I think, as you said, it's extremely important to understand what we call in Japanese medicine, the mengen response or the healing phenomenon. I don't know what they call it in Chinese medicine, but the response that the body has, usually from the ingestion of herbs, but not necessarily of what happens to the body when things are actually going in the correct direction and how that can mimic an improper treatment and how a lot of people can misdiagnose a improper treatment or an incorrect treatment as a healing phenomenon. And be like, oh, that's just the toxins exiting your system. You're good. But it's like, that isn't always the case. And those chapters, those lines, I should say, in the Shang Han Lun are the teachers to really learn from. I would like to say, though, that from a non-herbal practitioner, because I did not learn herbs in school, I learned herbs through Yashinomichi and then slowly on my own trying to absorb the knowledge. I do think that it's more difficult for those of us who have that background to really absorb the lines of mistake and really understand how those are important without a good mentor to be teaching you why and when and all of that, you know, as a side note. That is sage advice. Yeah. In a way to engage those particular lines of the book. I hadn't quite thought about it in that way. It makes total sense. It's worth looking at perhaps more closely and more acutely. Same. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of knowledge, a lot of things to remember, a lot of things to forget. So, <laughs> good thing we have shot class memories. That's right. <laughs> Rinse, wash, repeat. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, it truly is an iterative process. And we've talked a lot about the Shanghai Hunland. I, I think I just want to close with one, one last question, which is how do you keep from getting frustrated with all of that? What keeps you going? With the forgetting, you mean? With the forgetting, with the constant iterative and like, okay, you've been uh, at it eight years. Well, good. You know, talk to me when you've been at it for 10. Well, I mean, I have four children. So like, I can't remember their names <laughs> you most don't have of a the choice. time. <laughs> you know, um, so being forgetful is just kind of who I am at this point. So I don't know if I get frustrated with that as much because I've kind of accepted it as who I am as a human being, that I mm. don't have a great memory. I've never been a good test taker. I mean, I literally almost passed out when I was taking my final exam for the NCC on boards when I was translating my license here. But, you know, as far as like, I have to learn it again, and oh, it'll just be another few years. 
I don't know if I can speak to that frustration because the excitement that comes with the learning of a formula and the application of that formula into my acupuncture mox question, because again, I'm an acupuncturist, I'm not an herbalist. And then seeing that patient walk through the door and being like, I know exactly what you have. Uh, This is awesome. You know, the, I am a true geek, like to my core. And like, I could geek out over our medicine all day. And, you know, I tell my patients, they're like, you know, because I'm very frank with my patients about what happens in my life if they ask me about it and whatever. And I don't, you know, if they want to know, sure, I'm an open book, you know, but how do you have that going on? And still be able to come into the clinic. And I'm like, this is my peaceful place. This is an exciting mm-hmm. place. This is where I get to be stimulated and activated. And it's just so interesting. Like, I get going back to the maintenance treatment and why I don't like doing them is because it's so boring. There's nothing new to find. It's in balance. There's nothing to do, you know? But when something is out of balance or it's interesting in a way that I've never seen before, it's like, ooh, how is this going to play out? It's like a great movie. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, that's great. How do you deal? Do you have that? Do you? Oh, yeah. That constantly on the edge of uncertainty and discovery. Yeah. Where I have to be sharp, but not so sharp that I'm not taking in that fuller sense of everything that's around. It's a zoom in, zoom out. It's a focus, but it's but it's a gentle focus. There's room at the periphery mm-hmm. along with the focus. They kind of marrying the periphery with the, with the focus, I think, is kind of a sweet spot that I aim at. Sometimes I'm there. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes mm-hmm. I got no idea what to do with somebody other than, well, I think we start here. Here's a safe place to start. Yeah. And then there's the days, like you, I had someone call me on the phone the other day. They described what's going on. And uh, I'm like, yeah, come on in. Right? I mean, it was just, it was, wow, that's like textbook Shao Chai Hutong. Unless I see you and you convince me otherwise, which he didn't, by the way. That's Shao Chai Hutong. Like, look, here's four days of herbs. I'm going to make you an appointment for you next week. If you're feeling fine, just cancel it. Mm-hmm. If you're not feeling okay. fine and these herbs haven't done it in four days, which they should, but if they don't, then I miss something and come in. I mean, there's days like that. I love that. And I also love when I'm scratching my head. I'm like, where do I start? There's plenty of places to start. Thank goodness for all the teachers I've had that taught me to put my hands on people. Because sometimes I'll just start by putting my hands mm-hmm. on their belly, on their ankles. Or lately, I've been curious about the Mingmun. I don't know. Mingmun's got my attention. Mm-hmm. What do I know about it? Not a lot. But it's like, ooh, it's got my attention. I'm inquisitive. Mm-hmm. So I've started as part of my diagnostic process, taking a moment, sitting down, sliding my hand under the table to the Mingmun, and just seeing if there's anything that gets my attention. Mm. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But it's a place to start. It's asking a question. Mm -hmm. Do I get a response? I can follow a response. Sometimes I get no response. Okay, I'll go somewhere else and ask a different question. And so it's endlessly, endlessly, endlessly interesting. I am never bored. And I'm constantly amazed. And deeply grateful that people, you know, come in and trust me enough to uh, go on a little journey together. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, I actually don't know how you can get bored with this medicine. Well, I've got a teacher that says, if you're bored with this medicine, 
then you need a different job. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree with your teacher. He's a smart person, whoever they are. You know, we have an insanely high attrition rate in our practice, in our field. I mean, you know, I think it's in Japan, it's 70%. And I'm pretty sure it's about the same here in the U.S. Over 10 years, graduation, 70% of the people who graduated aren't going to be practicing, I think is the statistic. But I think that's really because people don't have, you know, either it's just not the right job for them, which is great, it's fine, you know, or they don't have the right teacher to really show them that, that kata, that method of observation and questioning that they can take with every client and compare to every other client and to continually be like, and now you need to learn this and now you need to learn this and mm-hmm. now you're going to mm-hmm. learn this. And you thought yes. you were done, but no, 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 no. You need to learn no, this. No, 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 no. There's this other thing to learn. And yeah. so in some ways that feels like failure, oh, something else to learn. And you could look at it that way and that would be very disheartening. Mm-hmm. But you can also take it as like enlivened curiosity. Oh, what else is there? Right? I mean, it's very much a mindset. It's so a mindset. So when I was an apprentice in Japan, before I was even in acupuncture school, I had a very pivotal practitioner who was a acupuncturist at the practice while I was an assistant, who I later on had a falling out with, and I'll still never, I'll never forget or forget how grateful I am to her. But her name was Hirota-sensei, and Hirota-sensei was an amazing teacher, and she taught me something extremely fundamental about Japanese people. And I think about our medicine too. And that is, if I stop teaching you, then that's when you know I don't care anymore. When I stop critiquing you, that's mm. when you know I don't care. That's when you know I don't care. And that's when you know that you failed me. That's what she taught me in the very beginning of our relationship. And God, you know, I despite what happened later on in our relationship, which, you know, is a whole other conversation, but I'll never forget her, how amazing she was and how pivotal she was in the raising of me into an adult. I would like to say I was an adult technically, but I was not an adult mentally or spiritually at all. But it's so true. I think this medicine, right when you think you got it, it throws something new at you and it goes, oh, you think you got it now? Well, how about this patient? Mm-hmm. Bam. And it throws mm-hmm. you someone who's so hard and you don't get it at mm-hmm. all and you're so frustrated. You know, like those are the steps when you should go, oh, I'm doing good. Yep. Now I'm doing Ooh, good. Leveled up. Yeah. It's like, do, 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 do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Level up. Anyway. <sighs> Wonderful. Well, Maya Suzuki, this has been delightful. And thank you so much for your perspective and your generosity in, in sharing this way of looking at the Shanghan Lun and acupuncture. Thank, I mean, we just yeah. got a little taste with Guajertang, but my pleasure. You, you've given some great ways of thinking about using acupuncture as if I would use herbs. And, and now I've mm-hmm. got a lot more questions than answers, that's for sure. So I'm going to go noodle around in clinic and uh, have to send you a text or an email with questions. Where I get stuck on something. Well, I might send it along to my teachers as well. Okay, that'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my friend. Well, anything else to say before we wind it down? It was my pleasure, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on and continuing to do Geological. And you're such a gem and so well-spoken. And it's so nice to talk to you. So thank you. Well, thanks so much. All right. Until next time, then.
Perhaps it's the influence of our particularly polarized moment, or maybe there is something steadfastly satisfying about inhabiting one side of an argument. I very much appreciated Maya's reminder that chi is simply chi. It's neither good nor bad, just helpful or obstructive. Rather than judge it as jung or xie, it would be more useful to discern how it aids in promoting proper function or needs to be moved to a place where it does. It's so easy to fall into the dichotomy of good and bad, but that in some ways limits our capacity to understand the transformation of qi. Maya's thoughts on having both a focused and diffuse attention when needling, it takes us out of the tyrannical dichotomy of single-minded intention or careless daydreaming and invites us into a sense of attending to the complete tapestry of the moment. Our work, indeed, it asks for cultivated attention. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.